and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine, and we're super happy to have back with us today uh, lawyer Minda Wilson. How are you doing, Minda? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Oh, you know, it's a pleasure. Um, last time I had you on, we talked about uh, some issues with Obamacare, and so I think I'm going to have you, I'm gonna, in a minute after I introduce you, I'm going to have you kind of like give us a uh, uh, synopsis on the summary of what we talked about last time and where we're at. And then I want to talk to you about something that's really super interesting because I've looked everywhere and I haven't seen it brought up anywhere, and that is... Um, the minimum wage that, that wants me that uh, the president and uh, um, wants to bring up to ten 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 dollars and ten cents an hour. Mm-hmm. With inflation, it should be ten dollars and ninety cents, but at ten ten. So there, I guess they're thinking that's a good compromise. Well, you believe that that will automatically hurt a ton of people who are who are already getting helped by Obamacare. Yes. And, and that is nobody's talking about that, and so I want to get into that today and, and kind of really dig in a little bit about the problems that this that either Obamacare is not an issue and minimum wage is not an issue, but put them together and you got an issue. Right. Uh, so anyway, um, first let me introduce you for everybody who doesn't know Minda, and if you're a fan of the show, you should because we we talked about a year ago. Um, but if you don't. Um, First of all, she's a lawyer. She's got her uh, um, degree from UCLA. You also went to uh, got your MBA at uh, New York University, and I love this Bachelor of Engineering at UCLA because I love that you have an engineering kind of technical mind. I love that about you. Um, anyway, um, Minda Wilson, I think you're the you're the founder, correct, of the Affordable Healthcare Review? Yes. Yes. She's the founder of the Affordable Healthcare Review, and um, this is uh, uh, this this educational organization um, was founded to provide information which allows um, corporations as well as individuals to make informed choices about their healthcare options. Uh, they promise to provide unbiased, politically neutral information about healthcare legislation, including the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And uh, also known as Obamacare, and the consequences arising from legislative implementation. They strive to raise awareness of opportunities for positive change uh, that would result in improved health care offerings to people of all economic levels. And I know you also work as, a, as an attorney in the field representing corporate health clients and physicians that, uh, that you help them establish entities, allowing them to meet all yeah. the challenges arising from the current legislation, correct? I do. Anyway, we're so happy to have you here today because, um, you know, uh, when I, we first talked, when I first met you, I made you promise that you were uh, neutral on the issues. <laughs> you weren't one way, you know, that, uh, and you have been. You've been unbiased, and, and really it's been a, a thrill to meet you, and, and, and I enjoy talking to you. And so let's start by summarizing. Um, when we first came together, you talked about the problems. The Obamacare was just coming into existence. You talked about some of the issues. Have everything you talked about come to fruition, or have they made some changes to help it? Uh, well, pretty much everything um, 
that we discussed still remains an issue. So, for example, um, you know, the issues related to the subsidies that we discussed, um, they haven't still have not worked that out. So if you're getting a subsidy and you've, you're getting more than you should be getting, um, they are going to, they're still planning to go after you for the difference in the subsidy. Uh, penalties for the overage, if you don't pay it back, can be as much as $250,000. Mm-hmm. And all of this is being enforced by the IRS. So Wonderful. one of the things that you need to do is make sure your subsidy that you're receiving has been properly calculated. Also, if you get a raise uh, during the year and your income goes up, please make sure that, again, you adjust the subsidy level so that you aren't subject to any of the fines or penalties for getting too much of a subsidy on your health care that you obtain and, and this the is a big exchange. part of what we're going to talk about next when we talk about your minimum wage going up because it could affect you in that way correct yes so, okay, so um, go ahead so and then for people on Medicaid um, it's the burdens on the government to uh, monitor your income so if you're receiving Medicaid at the moment uh, you may not be responsible for paying back benefits but uh, for those people who are uh, in the middle class and receiving economic subsidies to buy insurance, you are responsible for monitoring your income relative to the subsidy you receive. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, that's going to cause a lot of issue, and I, I don't like the IRS being in charge of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're responsible. And, and one of the rude. problems was one of the problems in the exchange, which still which hopefully will be addressed by next year, is that the income verification uh, link between what you put in and the IRS was never uh, properly implemented. So everybody's income who applied is actually being manually verified. So because of that, there's a delay. Um, they're giving people the subsidies based on an honor system, and then if they find out that you weren't entitled to as much as you got, that's why they're coming back to people. And it's been, it's been pretty – some of those letters are pretty scary. So just make sure you're receiving the right amount. So have there been people out there that didn't know that they had to pay it back that might have pushed the system a little bit, not realizing? Yes, or they didn't, or they didn't think that they like for. I mean, they, some of it was, you know, some of it was just malicious, but mm-hmm. a lot of it, the majority of it, was just they didn't think. They said, "Oh, I'm earning fifteen thousand dollars today," let's say, and they didn't realize they get a five percent raise. Mm-hmm. You know, and they didn't ca- take that raise into account. So, right. or let's say they get a bonus. They didn't count that bonus money. Or, um, you know, they they didn't properly, uh, let's say they're unemployed when they, they worked for most of the year and, and then they became unemployed. They did it based on their unemployment, and they didn't count the fact that they earned money in the first half of the year. So is this so, really hard for people who are working? Uh, I know a lot of people who work for themselves, and mm-hmm. they don't make a set amount every year. That's exactly right. So those people also are subject to significant variations in income, and they're responsible for making sure that the subsidies are, uh, you know, let's say they get a big, 
let's say they get a big account and um, they're making a lot more money, they have to adjust that. But the good news is, let's say you, um, let's say your income wasn't as much as you said it was going to be. In that case, on your tax form, you actually are entitled to money back. So in a way, you're better off overestimating because you'll get the money back if you overestimate it. Right. So, you know. that, That would be smart. Yeah, but that's what I've advocated. So you're better okay. off saying you see you earn more so that you get the money back. That would be okay. my practical suggestion. And one of the things we talked about before we came on the air here was, and, 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 and I talked to you about you being unbiased, and you've been very, uh, it seems like you've been very happy about the way uh, the Affordable Care Act has helped um, the the working poor and the, yes. and the poor amongst us. Is that correct? It's, it's been, it's been, I mean, it's been a great success in states like West Virginia where you have a high level of uh, single parent, working poor families, maybe dual income, minimum wage families. And those people were, uh, were eligible for Medicaid because mm-hmm. the Medicaid expansion allowed people who were slightly above the poverty level to sign up for Medicaid, which is free health care. And not only has it benefited them, but it's also benefited their kids. So um, it's, it's in, Medic- in West Virginia, they found that kids are healthier, their, their attendance in school has gone up, uh, the, the, the ability of the parents to go to work has gone up, they've missed less days because they're sick, and emergency room costs have gone down because people aren't running to the emergency room when right. something's wrong with them. They can go so to the doctor. It's, it's been it's been extreme, extremely successful. The problem is that um, the calculation of eligibility for Medicaid is based on absolute dollar figures. One hundred and thirty-three percent of the poverty level. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that's being discussed now is raising the minimum wage. So the minimum wage now is $7.25. Correct. So that means if you work 40 hours a week, you'll earn about $15,080 a year, mm-hmm. that, so, which puts you below the poverty level and you're eligible for Medicaid. Right. Um, and a lot of they, jobs are not f- full-time jobs. So, yeah, right. a lot of people make on 725 a lot less if they're only working three, four days a week. Yeah. So if they raise the minimum wage to $10.10, you're making a little over $21,000 if you work full-time, which okay. puts you way over the eligibility level because it's 15500 for a single person. So what that means is if you get that raise, you'll lose your Medicaid benefits. Right. So, so two things um, happen. Either you're going to end up, if you're going to insist on working, then you're going to pay that money out, maybe even more, or, or you're not going to want to work. Right. Well, the, the you know, most people, if they have full-time jobs, they don't have the option of, you know, they're not going to quit their jobs to um, – get their health care, right. but, what, what, but, the, but they are going to lose health care. And remember, they just got it this year, 
mm-hmm. as part of Obamacare because before the expansion of Medicaid, they weren't eligible. So, th- so they now have health care for the first time because of the expansion of the law, and you're saying, okay, now we're going to take it away from you. It makes right. no sense. I mean, Let me ask you a question. I want to back up just a little bit because you keep, you keep talking about Medicaid. There was a, a thing attached, if I, if, you know, and believe me, I'm really not smart about the whole um, uh, Affordable Care Act and, and Medicare and Medicaid. I'm not that educated about it. But there was a, something that went along with it where the governors of the state um, had to okay uh, the increase in Medicaid. Is that, am I way off base? Is that correct? And yes, that's correct. Not. So not every state has opted into the Medicaid expansion. Right. Uh, and in some states, uh, they, they're using the old rules. So this, this doesn't apply to them. Right. But what's happening is because of the success in states like West Virginia, it's being rolled out into more and more states because overall they're seeing the tax benefit rise right. and, the, and the costs borne by the state go down. And the other thing that's interesting that's a part of the Affordable Care Act is before the Affordable Care Act, visits to the emergency room for uninsured people used to be subsidized by the federal government. Okay. So it really wasn't as big a financial burden on hospitals. Why now, closing at, then? You, weren't weren't uh, emergency rooms closing right and left? Yes, but but it's it's not it, the the percentage wasn't a hundred percent. Okay. Now, it's because of the Affordable Care Act, that subsidy has been eliminated. So mm-hmm. now the hospital bears 100% of the cost of taking care of an uninsured person. So the closures that were happening before, the snowball effect mm-hmm. is, means that more and more emergency rooms are closing because they're 100% responsible for the cost of taking care of uninsured people that they can't turn away. Right. And a lot so, of people are not becoming uninsured and just paying what what the fee the um, what do you call it the uh, copay? Not the copay. You know, I guess there's there is there's money attached if you decide not to opt into health care. Don't you the, get fined? The penal- there is a penalty for not being insured, and okay. and that and a lot of people are 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 paying that. But but the thing is that in terms of the emergency room care, it was mostly poor, working poor people that were the people that used the emergency rooms as their clinics. So the increase in Medicaid eligibility has allowed these people to get insurance and allowed the emergency rooms to treat these people and then refer them out to doctors and have them get care. Right. So that will go away if they raise the minimum wage to 1010 because these people will no longer be eligible for care. Right. And that and so in my opinion, if they do raise the minimum wage, they should also raise the eligibility ceiling so that it corresponds with the increase in the minimum wage. And that way, you know, we aren't taking away the benefits that Obamacare Provided. Okay, let me ask you this, Minda, because I looked everywhere and I could find nothing on this, but I, I totally understand it and I totally believe it and it totally makes sense. But the fact is, nobody's talking about it. So, what do you, are you, 
you, you have your ear pressed to the wall. Is anybody else talking about this, and are they going to allow, if, if they change the minimum wage, do you think that they're going to allow the chaos to occur before they change things, or is somebody going to step up and say, before we do that, we got to do this? Well, that's what I'm trying to do, is get people to step up, because nobody's thinking it through. It's like, you know, when, when the law was first enacted, I made a, a couple of points about issues that were going to come about, and they came to fruition, and now I'm, I'm I, I don't mean to be the, you know, the, now I'm so. raising another issue. This is a significant <laughs> issue, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but one thing I've learned in Washington, it seems to be more about the win than it does about uh, considering the unintended consequences. Right. So minimum wage increase is something that can be won. I don't know if expanding the Medicaid ceiling is something that can be won. So if you win the minimum wage battle, then you have a win. You can say, I increased the wages for everyone. Right. If you, if you, if people lose their health care, oh, sorry, that's an unintended consequence. It's like the subsidies. Oh, well, we didn't figure out how to calculate subsidies property so, properly, so you're going to be responsible for uh, making sure you pay the right amount and you're going to be fined if you don't. <laughs> so, okay. That, it's sort of on the same plane as that. Right. It's it's crazy because they have all the they have all your numbers. They got all the computers. They can tie them together if they wish. But you know, we found out during the whole veterans thing that I guess they <laughs> they have no idea how to tie any information together. Right. And and of course, you know, they don't go to the people. I mean, we have we certainly have um, a lot of people in this country who know how to build large systems. Mm -hmm. So, um, and um, we aren't using those resources. So, right. okay. That's, so that's an administrative decision, you know. Not Congress didn't decide that. That's an administrative decision. So, um, right. I, I I blame the administration for that. Okay. Fair enough. Let's uh, talk about. I, I think I asked you a minute ago. Um, since you're the only one I see even speaking about this, have you seen anybody else talking about this? Is are the uh, the is, is the um, uh, uh, the Democrats, Republicans talking about this at all? The Republicans just not saying anything, waiting it for it to fall apart so they can they can point fingers. Or I think, does I anybody think the even know about is, this? Is, is, I think the problem is the Democrats are uh, uh, the Democrats. I, I've I've had discussions with the with several Democratic leaders, and mm -hmm. again, it's the issue of what can we win. So right. they don't think that um, they don't think that they can win uh, raising the Medicaid ceiling. Right. And um, they believe that um, they believe that uh, raising the minimum wage will be a benefit, and um, they aren't willing to 
look outside that for the for the consequences in other areas. Well, so, that's just not inspiring at all, Minda. So <laughs> I know, and then and then the Republicans, um, the Republicans seem to be still at the place where they're just opposed to Obamacare. Period. So the so in order to consider what I'm talking about, you have to be willing to say, okay, the minimum wage expansion is here to stay, and we want to protect that because it's done a good job for so many people. Right. So, so until they sort of move off of denial and into acceptance, uh, they aren't willing to consider the consequences. So I don't think what you said is true about them wanting to be, uh, wanting to the, you know, all of this to happen. I think really they just want to end Obamacare and are not willing to move past that. Okay. That makes sense. So uh, what can we do? Can we, do we need to start writing our congressmen? Yes, yeah, so, so there's two things that people need to do. The first thing is that either they have to say, if you raise the minimum wage, you have to raise the uh, Medicaid uh, subsidy levels proportionately. Right. I, and I know that's complicated. It's hard to say that. So. To be honest with you, I don't think if you're going to take a position that will help the most people, not raising the minimum wage is probably it. Because if you're a minimum wage earner, you're eligible for Medicaid now, so you should be getting health care. So um, my point is that if they raise it to 10-10, you're going to lose your health care. Right. So. Um, I think you're better off earning minimum wage at its current level and getting health care than having a higher wage and not receiving health care. That would be that would be my analysis, and I could, but I could be wrong. Um, but the best thing that would happen would be if they raised the wages and they raised the ceiling. Um, Absolutely, right. They need to do both. If they, they do one do or the other, then there's a problem. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, you know, uh, again, whether they raise the minimum wage um, or or change or change that the, the registration uh, with the Medicaid issue uh, ceiling, mm-hmm. uh, we're still going to have a problem with the middle class, are we not? Well, the the real the real problem is that the. I mean, the real problem with the Affordable Care Act is it's just not affordable. Health care mm-hmm. isn't affordable. Right. So, um, and uh, and there's a lot of things that could be done to change that, but um, with Congress so polarized, I think it would be diff- difficult to implement any any of the kinds of changes that are needed. I mean... Mm-hmm. Um, the, the big thing that's coming down the pipe starting next year is there's going to be uh, mandated $790 billion of cuts to Medicare. So um, 
where is that going to come from? At the moment, we don't know what those cuts are going to be. Um, and that means not just Medicare, but maybe Medicaid services as well. So certain things aren't going to be covered and we aren't going to be able to afford to cover. Um, and won't, the, won't the monies, you know, like I said, I'm not to school on this, but the Medicare monies, won't they just be moved over to pay for Obamacare services or no? Well, the, the, that, the problem is that the cost of the exchange and the cost of subsidizing the insurance companies and all that is supposed to come out of the Medicare budget. Right. So, um, and they estimate that that cost is going to be about $790 billion. And part of the Affordable Care Act requires that the Medicare budget balance so right. that if we spend a dollar on the exchange, that means a dollar we aren't allowed to spend for medical treatment. Mm-hmm. So where's that money? So you have to make some decisions about what treatments you're going to cover and what treatments you're not, and who you're going to cover and who you're not. Mm. So again, that's that's something that has to be figured out. Um, one of the interesting things is that there was there's supposed to be a a board called the Independent Payment Advisory Board that was set up uh, under the Act that was supposed to charge, like the Federal Reserve, an independent board that was supposed to sort of oversee all these medical issues that was like the Federal Reserve and nonpartisan and wasn't supposed to answer to anybody and make these decisions. Right. They kind um, of got payments in line and and, and, uh, charges in line. Right, but um, nobody's been appointed to serve on that board yet. Oh, gee. So, (laughs) to me, that would be a good start, is getting the board established and having them do some thoughtful, getting some very good, thoughtful people on the board and doing the kind of analysis that would allow, you know, you to determine what kind of treatments would be covered, what kind aren't, who who should be covered, who wouldn't. Right. Um, you know, that's 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 what I that would be the first step that I would recommend. Um, second step would probably be that um, we stop having bright line age based rules and start uh, tying care to um, people's condition before they get sick. Okay, that's a great uh, topic right there. Can you explain for the people who are listening that don't know what Brightline is, what the the difference is between Brightline and um, health-specific? Okay, so there was a piece of legislation that was killed that had some Brightline rules, and those Brightline rules were things like... um, 69 years old and above, if you had, uh, if you needed a valve replacement, you were out of luck. You'd have to pay for it yourself. Right. Um, and that's relatively young. I mean, and the consequence of not getting a valve replacement is death. Right. So, um, you know, there are a lot of very healthy 69-year-old people um, in fact, my brother, who is 
58 had a valve replacement and my brother, you know, works full time. He uh, runs, runs races, he plays basketball, he's very active in the community and he, right. had he not had that replacement, he would have passed. So, mm -hmm. um, so you're looking at decisions based on, um, not on the condition of the person, but um, on their age. So at 69, that would have been the end. Because as, as we live longer and longer because of our, <clears throat> because of the um, uh, healthcare system that we've had, Mm -hmm. uh, this bright line uh, rulings could uh, diminish that. Right. Uh, so for another example was that they were looking at uh, ending cancer treatment at anyone over 75, 75 years of age would right. not be entitled to cancer treatment. So, okay, so if you're over 75 and you get cancer, you know, no more cancer treatment under Medicare. That would right. That was another one that was proposed in this legislation that was killed. I mean, the legislation. But still, it was proposed. Right. And um, it was considered. And I'm just concerned that if we don't have the IPAB and some intelligent people making these decisions, that at some point, financially, they're going to have to come up with some rules, and they're not going to be thoughtful about the rules. They're just going to no, they're going to do what insurance companies always do. They they don't go to um, case by case. Everything's done on an actuarial table. Yes. Right. So, so that's a problem to me. Um, right. And um, so that's a bright line rule. You know, it just okay. says at this age you don't get this service anymore. At mm -hmm. at you know at sixty eight no more mammograms. At you know seventy no more. Uh, heart procedures at 80, you know, no more dialysis or whatever. You can just make a bright line rule independent of condition, and um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the best approach. I think a better no, approach would be sets up a two tier system in the in you know of of, of class in the nation right. where the rich get what get whatever they need and the poor get cut off. And the middle class. Or in the middle class. It's not just the poor. It's the middle class because, you know, you can't afford a heart surgery. A heart surgery is a hundred plus thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. So if you need a if you need a valve replaced, not many people have that in the bank. Yeah, just no, for I, that. Um, yeah, no. I, you know that I had uh, received a diagnosis of uh, prostate cancer and. Uh, there's a real big issue with that because, um, you know, I, I was able to get treated, but I wouldn't have got to be treated if I was older. That's right. Yeah, you pay or play. Right. Right. So, so that's the so that's the concern, and so you have hardworking people, and the the other problem is most people in their fifties and in their late fifties and sixties years old have assumed in part of their retirement planning that they would have Medicare to fall back on. It right. wasn't like they were they could plan for this. Like a younger person now knows that there isn't going to be Medicare to take care of them. So right. they're going to have to have money set aside to 
pay for health care in their retirement. Right. But somebody who's in their 50s or 60s, they were, they've been, they were raised on the notion that they would have Medicare. So most people, if they do have retirement savings, certainly didn't plan on saving for that. Nope. And most people really don't have retirement savings after you know. the last, since 1999, after the two, um, market crashes that we had in 1999 and again in 2006 or seven, um, people are pretty depleted. And there's no, and, and again, um, there, there's, even though you can get um, supplemental insurance through Medicare, there are no individual policies that cover uh, exclusions. From Medicare, so when they start excluding things like heart procedures, cancer treatments, supplemental policies do not cover treatment for those things. Okay, well let's make it clear that hasn't happened yet, but uh, obviously it's been brought up several times, so we have to watch yeah, for that. It's been discussed, and 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 the truth is, some things are so in the area of prostate cancer, they have established a bright line rule where they don't treat people anymore over uh, 79 years of age. Right. So, um, so that's the first example. The next thing that's coming down the pike that they're discussing is that uh, is not offering mammographies anymore to uh, people over 75. So, um, you know, there, there's a list of things that they're looking at. So, again, as, as, they, as more and more of these get approved, then the likelihood that something could happen that you'll have to pay for goes up. And well, that's a big it. concern of mine because <laughs> we have to build something into the infrastructure so that people can get health care when they get older. There you have it, right there. So everybody... Uh, uh, where can they find more information and see this and, and, and at least so they can reference it and send it off to their, talk to their congressman about this problem? So, if they, so anyone can send me an inquiry at, uh, at, through my website at affordablehealthcarereview.com. Please come visit. I answer any and all questions uh, from questions about getting health care for your business to uh, issues relating to personal acquisition of health care. Uh, some of the people that have lost their jobs, I've had a lot of inquiries lately about what one can do uh, to obtain health care when there's been a transition in their life. And we're, we're here to help anybody who has any health questions, any company who has any questions related to health care and the services are free. That's great. So we do. We are not a broker, so we do not provide the services. We refer you. Wonderful. And that's again. That's the www.affordablehealthcarereview.com. Um, we've been speaking to Minda Wilson, um, the founder of a, uh, of the Affordable Healthcare Review. Um, Minda, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you coming on today and uh, bringing up this really important point about Obamacare and the minimum wage. Um, now I'm going to let you go ahead and have the last word if you want to say uh, the... You know, have the people have the power through their 
political strength to change what's going on in Washington, and we've stopped using the power. So let's try and uh, take back our power and make sure that we uh, get the proper health care services that we need. Everybody, this is J.W. Nijarian with On Purpose Magazine, speaking to Minda Wilson today of the Affordable Health Care Review. Everybody have a great day and even better tomorrow. Thank you, Minda. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Meta Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.